Welcome to the Joy Joya podcast, where jewelry is joy and everyone is encouraged to add more polish and sparkle to the world with topics ranging from marketing tips to business development, best practices and beyond. This is the go-to podcast for ambitious jewelry industry dreamers like you. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 211, and today I'm going to be sharing an interview with someone who's a little bit of a celebrity in the jewelry industry, at least in my eyes. So in 2019, I spoke at the Jewelry Ecom Live conference in Miami, and someone else who was there told me I had to meet this person who I'm going to have on my podcast today. When I heard the name, I kind of recognized it and I got really excited and I was like, yes, I want to meet this person. So I was able to arrange a brief meeting with him outside the Centurion show floor. And I've been so happy and grateful that I've had the chance to connect with him a number of times since then. I'll be sharing more about this guest in just a little bit, but here's a preview of what we'll be discussing. What's it like to organize and execute on a major event for the jewelry industry? Why are leadership development and networking events so important for our industry? And what are some of the most exciting and invigorating things happening in the industry today? And much more. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners and viewers, and you can always support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. I want to read my favorite review of the week. So this was actually not a podcast review, but feedback I got in an Instagram DM. Quote, I've been hearing your podcast for a year now, and every time I do, I learn something new. This is truly helpful, and I want to acknowledge you for that. End quote. Thank you. I really appreciate that. If you leave a review, send me a DM, leave a comment on YouTube. I might read it on a future episode. So please let me know what you think about this one or any other major takeaways you've had recently. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. So during this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that is impressing me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you too. And I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. So this Sparkle Award comes from an article I saw in National Jeweler called The New Diamonds Do Good Bracelet Has Long. So this week's Sparkle Award goes to Diamonds Do Good, with which recently launched its latest bracelet ahead of the holiday season. If you've never heard of Diamonds Do Good, it's a global nonprofit organization with a mission of supporting programs that develop and empower people in natural diamond communities. Their newest bracelet is a sleek, 
gender neutral style. It was designed by Onorica Fine Jewelry and was launched in partnership with model and entrepreneur Flaviana Matata, who was born and raised in Tanzania. The style features matte onyx beads accented with four black diamonds spaced evenly around as symbols of unity and equality. It also has some additional symbolism too. So there's a Savorite garnet on the pulse point, which represents life and rebirth. And there's a single champagne diamond included as a symbol of the light within us all. I think that's really beautiful. And I love that there's so much symbolism and meaning infused into this bracelet. So the designer said, for me, everything is unified. The more love we give, the more good we do, the more light we project. I love that. <laughs> What's the best part about this bracelet though? For everyone sold, Diamonds Do Good will donate to the Flaviana Matata Foundation, a nonprofit that aims to inspire, empower, and support girls in Tanzania. Definitely check this out. It's a good cause. I love the story behind it. I'm really inspired. As I mentioned, you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles, and you can get the links in the show notes. First article comes from mytotalretail.com, and it's called Cookies Are Ruining Your Holiday Sales. Here's why session-based personalization is the best alternative. No, they are not talking about the types of cookies that you leave for Santa Claus. This might sound a little bit like complex and very marketing tech, but I'm going to try to bring it to like the solopreneur small business owner and why this matters. So this brand, this article is for brands that are maybe doing like sub segmentation, especially with email, some personalization in their marketing and messaging. And it's also for brands that want to kind of take the excitement and momentum that they're able to generate during Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend and extend that through Christmas and even beyond so that it doesn't just end there and then they never engage with those customers again. So one way you can get super specific and personalized with your Christmas time messaging is by tailoring that messaging based on what customers purchased, added to their carts or browsed on your website for any sort of Christmas message that you send them. So that's better than just a blind guess at what you're assuming they want based on their age or gender or other sort of demographic information. If you're able to, and you have the tools and data to quickly leverage insights that you glean from, from what you know about your customers when they shop on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, then those follow-up interactions right before Christmas can really be personalized and draw shoppers back in. So in practice, this could maybe look like a targeted email that you send mid-September that highlights items that you recommend to those shoppers, again, based on their specific behavior. So this avoids what's called a cold start problem. Cold start is when you're kind of just blasting all your customers with the same message. You're like assuming things that they want, but 
As we know, for most brands, the holiday season is a very lucrative time. If you can get as specific as possible with your recommendations, and you can really base those recommendations on data, you are not approaching your marketing completely blind, and you're giving your business your best chance at success. So my main takeaway from this is just because someone purchased from you on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, doesn't mean they won't want or need another item before Christmas. So leverage that information that you know about your customers and then make personalized recommendations. And not only just based on shopping behavior, but also leverage any sort of browsing or add to cart behavior if you're able to do that as well. The second article comes from JCK and it's called 25% of diamond jewelry sales in 2021 were made online. So De Beers recently released their Diamond Insight report and they gleaned a lot of findings about customer behavior related to jewelry purchases, specifically diamond jewelry purchases. So there were really kind of two main points in here that I wanted to highlight that I think really well represent how consumer behavior is shifting when it comes to purchasing jewelry and what customers want. So the first thing is that branded diamond jewelry represented two thirds of all diamond jewelry purchases in the U.S. in 2021, that is more than double the percentage of what it was in 2015. It also comprised about 80% of all sales by value. So De Beers recently released their latest Diamond Insight report, which is a report that really tells us a lot of interesting data about how consumers are shopping for diamond jewelry today. How has behavior around shopping changed? What do consumers want now? What do they feel comfortable with when it comes to making a purchase of diamond jewelry? So there were two main takeaways that I got from this report, which was full of some really interesting statistics. The first one was that branded diamond jewelry represented two thirds of all diamond jewelry purchases in the US in 2021. That's more than double the percentage of what it was in 2015. It also comprised almost 80% of all sales by value. And so most surprisingly, younger consumers are embracing branded diamonds more than some of the older generations. So my takeaway from this is that in order to be competitive this year, next year, and beyond, you really need to have a brand because consumers are resonating with brands. You may think that they are shopping for price, that they are kind of just looking for the best deal regardless of brand. I'm sure there's consumers like that out there, but the data does not support that. The data says that more consumers than ever before are shopping for branded diamond jewelry. The second takeaway that I had from this report was that De Beers found that online sales of diamond jewelry represented 25% of US sales by value and 31% by volume in 2021. And to give you some comparison, in 2015, online represented only 14% by value and 18% by volume. I'm sure that some of that growth in online sales of diamond jewelry was fueled by the pandemic, 
but I don't anticipate this slowing down. And I think it really is a sign of what's to come that customers are really that much more comfortable shopping for fine jewelry, diamond jewelry online. So what does this all mean? One, as I mentioned, building a strong brand as well as a user-friendly e-commerce channel are important for anyone selling diamond jewelry. And I think fine jewelry as well, um, direct to consumer today. So that's my main takeaway from this article. And then the last article comes from socialmediatoday.com and it's called TikTok Launches TikTok Academy Marketing Education Program. Are you interested in TikTok? Do you want to get your brand on there or do you want to optimize your brand's presence on this social media platform? There's good news for you. TikTok recently launched a new education program for marketers called TikTok Academy. It has free video courses on how to make the best use of TikTok for marketing. They also have research data and other information to help you expand your understanding of this app. Right now, there are two courses on offer and they're probably really well suited for more of like the beginner TikTok business user. So those are TikTok 101 and small business. Of course, it's important to remember that when it comes to something like TikTok, there's really no course that can substitute for the time you spend on the app, the understanding you have of the trends and how real users are engaging with it. It's kind of like the difference between going to school to study business and like actually having a business. There are different things you're going to learn from the education versus the experience. The same is true with something like TikTok. And the, the Social Media Today article makes a great point. The real skill in TikTok marketing is understanding key trends and aligning your content with the other videos and user feeds in order to keep people engaged. So there's no course that can give you that insight. But the courses are definitely supposed to have some great tips and takeaways that just from using the app you may have missed or can just enlighten you further, maybe so that you gain confidence and feel comfortable diving into it for the first time. So my main takeaway from this is if you want a crash course in using TikTok as part of your social media marketing strategy, then this is definitely a great place to start. For more information about any of these articles, check out the links provided in the show notes. So as I mentioned earlier in the episode, my guest today is kind of a rock star. Most people in the industry have at least heard of him. Mark Smelzer is the former publisher of JCK and the current chief content executive at Jewelers Mutual Group. Mark started his career in magazine ad sales in Los Angeles when he became the publisher of a city magazine called Buzz. After that, he moved to Variety, the entertainment trade publication, but a corporate shakeup there propelled him to become the publisher of JCK magazine. At that time, 18 years ago, he knew very little about the jewelry industry, but of course he grew to love it and has seen it go through countless changes. In 2021, he shifted to an exciting new role at Jewelers Mutual, and he conceived of the event Conversations in Park City, which recently took place in October. I'm so excited to have Mark on the podcast today to chat about his time in the industry as well as his experience of the unique retreat he helped create 
in Utah. So without further delay, let's get to my interview with Mark. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you today. I'm happy to have you as a guest. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah. So please tell our listeners and viewers about your, I guess it's like newish, newish role as the chief content executive at Jewelers Mutual Group. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. So can you give us some background information? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was the publisher of JCK for, oh my heavens, 2004 to 2021. So for, you know, 17 years. Um, but as as the, the print world, the magazine world, writ large, not JCK, but as the, as the whole world of magazines started to die out, we had to quickly hustle and try and figure out ways to, to backfill um, revenue and also to create content that could be on you know, new platforms, new ways that people were approaching the content. So I pretty, pretty early on, on started um, dabbling in content marketing. Um, and, and that for on my side of the equation, that really uh, manifested in advertisers engaging with us to create content that didn't promote their brand specifically, but that was related to what they offered. Um, and, and it was content that would be of interest to the JCK readers. So I started engaging in a lot of cool content marketing that way. Um, and then when things really started to go south in print, uh, I actually raised my hand and said to the folks at, at, at Reed, um, look, it's obvious you're not going to be able to afford me at a fraction of the revenue. So rather than some, one day suddenly be told that you know, things had to change, I would much rather launch a consultancy and have you as half my time. Um, so I did that, made it much more affordable and, and, and made a lot more sense for them. And then I started pursuing other projects. And one of them was Gem and Jewel, Sheila Bays's project. And I helped her bring Gem and Jewel to Julie's Mutual, who sidebar, they did eventually buy Gem and Jewel, so we're all family now. But in the process, I really got my first chance to sit down with Mike Alexander, who's recently been promoted to COO of Julius Mutual. And about a year later, I guess, it, it wonderfully came back to me that they were looking for their first ever content executive. And would I be interested? And of course, I was thrilled at the idea. So that's the little backstory. Then what I'm doing in that role is I'm creating content that promotes their brand or brands, because there are sub-brands now at Jewelers Mutual, um, that helps communicate, you know, uh, specifically what they're doing through written content. But then also, like I was saying with those advertisers, it in a sort of like, it, in a secondary way, by them creating content that goes out and talks about the industry and celebrates the industry, it reflects well on the JM brand. So it's not a direct content saying JM does this and that. It's more like, wow, look at Julius Mutual and, and all that they're bringing to the table. So the very first thing that I did was hire Emily Vesseland um, from JCK. And so she is, I'm chief content executive. She's senior content editor. So she's, you know, fingers on keyboard. Um, and, and also working with the writers that we bring in. But together we launched this new publication, online B2B publication called The Zing Report. 
And Zing, of course, is Jewelry's Mutual's platform that they created as part of a, a larger strategy to enhance everything to do with data at the company. But out of that came, hey, with all of this data and with all of these products in one central location, we could give retailers a sort of a central hub where they can come on a daily basis and get all the services that we provide customized for them, plus news and information and content. So Kristen did the Zing report. The tagline is celebrating our industry, and that's exactly what we do on a weekly basis. So that's been really cool. Um, and then I, I've sort of, without really deliberation, sort of become an in-house consultant at Julius Mutual because I do have 20 years of relationships, so that's been really fun. And then, um, I don't know, I'm actually I'm jumping ahead of all your questions, but then the, the, the latest iteration of, of content was this conference that we just did in Park City. So that's basically what I'm doing, creating content that helps the brand. I love that. And this is not any sort of sponsored plug for Jewelers Mutual or anything like that. But one thing I so admire about this company is that they had the forethought, the idea to even have like a content division of their business. I am so immensely impressed by that. Yeah, no, no doubt. As was I, because I think they're the first one that I've heard of in our in our space to do so. Um, and but no surprise. I mean, Scott Murphy came on board just shy of eight years ago um, and, and, and brought Mike Alexander and some other executives, Mark Devereaux and others along f with him. And they've just done nothing but innovate. And, you know, and I said this to them in my you know initial conversations with them from my very first uh, Jewelers for Children dinner at Vegas, where I saw the giant, you know, Jewelers Mutual banner. I've seen them as, a, as an organization, a company of corporate largesse, right? They give back to the industry. They care about the industry. And that had been done in all these very traditional ways. Well, now it's like 2.0 and they're just doing it in all these other ways, some of which benefit the company financially, like the shipping service that we have now, but others that don't benefit, that don't generate revenue for, for the company. Um, that are indeed expenses, uh, but that help position them as this organization that knows that, you know, as goes the industry, as the tide rises in the industry, so eventually will Jewelers Mutual do well. So yeah, it's very, very dynamic company these days. It's very cool. So I want to hear about this conference that you <laughs> basically envisioned and put together called Conversations in Park City. Let's yeah. hear what it's all about. What 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 was this event? So this goes back for me. It goes back. Oh my heavens! I don't even know the first time I had the idea. It might have been fifteen years ago, but I, I you know I started living the circuit, and I realized that there was this opportunity. And I, at the time, you know, I'm working for Reed Exhibitions out in Norwalk, and I kept going to them and saying like, hey, there is an opportunity for a thought leader retreat. Um, and, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but like, like a Davos for the jewelry industry or Allen and Company in, um, in Jackson Hole every year or Aspen Institute and I, I grew up in Utah, so I had I envisioned it just kind of being like those. I envisioned it being in the mountains. 
Um, and I also knew like just how convenient Park City is for everybody. A lot of people don't know that you know Park City is like a 45 minute drive from an airport that you can fly directly from Paris. It's really convenient to get to. So that I, I would always say like we should do this, we should do this, and they they just they, you know there's no way it would be profitable, so they said no. And then about six months into the job, last August actually, I I tossed the idea out here, um, almost as an aside. And immediately Scott Murphy said, yeah, let's investigate it. So yes, the, the, the germ of the idea was mine, but then immediately it was like this incredible team effort at Julius Mutual to actually make it happen, including this young woman, Emily Pankratz, who came on board, who on her first day, uh, her first one-on-one -on -one with me, I said, oh, by the way, <laughs> we're throwing an event in Park City next year. And she, you know, she just did a phenomenal job. So there were all kinds of smart people in uh, marketing, production, um, communication, emails, uh, a group effort to pull together the list of attendees. Um, and yeah, and so that, it all came together and it just happened. So we're all floating. We're all on cloud nine right now. <laughs> That's awesome. I love hearing that this vision, I didn't even realize that you had this idea for so long and you were like finally able to realize it. That must have been so exciting for you to finally get there and be there and like see it all come to life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got on stage the very first time. So I, you know, it was, it's Julius Mutual's event and Scott Murphy kicked it off and it actually just gave a really rousing speech. But um, I know he's already been invited by some folks to speak at their company retreats which is really exciting but but yeah I was the MC and that first time I got on stage uh, it was emotional I got a little a little verklempt as they say because <laughs> really just to see something that you know I had I had daydreamed about in broad strokes but then once we knew where the hotel was and once we knew what the room looked like and the daydreams were really quite specific and then to actually see it happen was just amazing and and part of the joy of it was that everybody who came this first year was a real leap of faith um, it wasn't inexpensive although we got to stay at the hotel for like 90 percent off ski season rates so we got this wonderful five-star experience at a two-star three-star price but um you know everyone really took a, a leap of faith nobody really knew exactly what it was gonna be and so that was part of the magic was everybody going like oh it's this oh wow oh wow oh wow you know it was really it was really cool how many people ended up attending and like what um areas of the industry did they represent yeah so in the final analysis i think it was 120 guests so i wasn't the first and only one to say to draw the comparison it was sort of like the size of a wedding um, and which yeah. is which is a nice size. It was very intimate, uh, and in fact, early feedback from people was, "Do not make this larger." You know, part of the magic of it was its was its intimacy, um, and you know, while while you know, so many people did so much work. I I, I am excited about the, the guest list that we pulled together because that was really something that I was focusing on. Uh, and I was trying very hard to have it be 
a, a group of people who've never been in the same room together. Um, so you had retailers, for lack of a better description, retailers who are more like in the couture world, right? Uh, retailers who are more in the JCK camp. You had um, manufacturers, you had all the associations there. Jewish Mutual um, biannually hosts the leaders of the associations. They, they christen themselves the Jewelry Leadership Forum, sort of the association of associations. So JVC, JSA, JA, all those great groups. Um, and biannually, we host them in Nina and give them a conference room and a speaker. So we thought, well, let's bring them all to Park City. Why not? You know, so they were all there in force, which was just great. Um, we had diversity. I worked with the Black and Jewelry Coalition. Um, they have a, a, a group of designers who they're promoting called the Black and Jewelry Collective. And we worked to get five of them there, which was just fantastic. Um, we had we had young folks, um, Troy Underwood from Underwood Jewelers. We had uh, all, all, the Sissy's Log Cabin brought the entire family, so there were like five folks from from that retailer. Um, we had uh, just other 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 you know younger leaders in the business, which is so key. Um, and then of course we had a lot of established. We had great CEOs there and. So it was a really wonderful collection, but several people came up to me and said, you know, it's been forever since I was at an event where I came in and there were people I hadn't met before. So that was, that was really cool and a really, really focused objective. That's amazing. I know that you and your team <laughs> spent a lot of time on the programming and the, like, the speakers and the event roundup. So what were some of the highlights? Like what types of content did people consume when they were there? Yeah, so thank you, Vasquez. That was really another very exciting part about it. So Emily Veselin and I, as the content team at JM, that was entirely in our lap. And we literally started with a sheet of blank paper. And the one of the very first conversations, um, Emily said, you know, because we were saying like, we want everything about this to be different because we don't want to compete with any other industry events and you know Julie's Mutual for example is the biggest supporter financially of um, AGS Conclave. We love Conclave but we didn't want to compete content wise. We wanted to be different. So as we were thinking you know what what could we do that hasn't been done before we were thinking maybe we'd focus on futuristic stuff and um, Emily immediately said well there's this group in New York called PSFK and every year during the National Retail Federation, the NRF convention at the Javits, they do a satellite event called the Future of Retail. And she had been a couple of times. So they, they were our very first phone call. Um, and that, that was its own interesting story of how that morphed and the path that it took. But we ended up working with this gentleman, Jeff Wiener, who's really fantastic. He's a great presenter um, and he, with PSFK. And, and he also put the content together. And so it was... He was the bulk of the first day, and it was metaverse, NFTs, clienteling, all this sort of next-gen tech. And some of it is, you know, stuff that you can embrace right away. We all learned what a POAP was, and in fact, we just sent to everyone who attended their, their POAP. I can't remember what it's an acronym for, but it's basically a, it's an NFT, it's a non-fungible token that you get that that says like 
you came to this event. So it almost sort of be like a, a plaque in the IRL world that you got to hang up on your wall. But instead, you've got a PO app. And with that PO app, you have access to certain things. So, for example, you know, we're analyzing right now the return on investment. And are we going to do this again in the exact same format? Or what are we thinking for next year? But should we do it next year? You know, we intend to say to everyone as a PO app, like, hey, you're first right of refusal to, 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 to attend next year. And that's what we'll do it on. So a lot of that was sort of, you know, at, at the closest, it was like next step. But a lot of it was sort of 15 years out. And then what was really cool about that was that um, Jeff brought in some amazing folks and he had four different topics. And in each of those topics, it was two chairs on the stage, casual conversations. So we had Taraf Kamdar from eBay. He was really terrific. We had this wonderful woman named Liz Basilar uh, from Estee Lauder. And she was, she was there. She made it very clear that she was there on her, uh, representing herself, not representing Estee. But um, her, 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 presentation and, and what she said to the audience was just she was just really terrific so we got we got Paul Schneider from twist um, the the digital well they're actually they they come across as digital native but they're not they've got a they've got two stores in Portland and Seattle but you know Paul is just so on it in terms of back to content marketing he does videos on all of his designers everything seamlessly goes in and out of you know IRL and digital. He was really inspirational. Um, it, was, it, it was just great. And then we sort of rounded that off with three panels on topics that um, are here and now, but also sort of forward thinking. So we tried to, tried to shy away from, you know, how do I get a bench jeweler? As important as that is, and it's essential, we know that that's a key thing in the, in the world right now. We focused more like on, um, what is the journey of the trend in social media these days? We, we focused on sustainability. We focused on storytelling um, and, and getting back to the emotional connection that jewelry has with its owners that other consumer products don't have. Uh, but yeah, so those are the topics. And it was, it was a very short, and this again was by design. It was really short. It was a day and a half. Um, but we, we wanted it to be a day and a half because we wanted everyone to sort of get this sense that they were on an island together for a short time. Um, and that's what we did. <laughs> I love all the topics you just described. I feel, I think a lot of people feel like that the jewelry industry can be a little bit slow to adapt new technologies or even be open to them. So it's exciting to me that it sounds like you guys were pushing the envelope a little bit and trying to think like 15 years out. How would you say the reception was to some of these like conceptual things? It was, it was great. I mean, we, the, we had uh, videographers there um and and photographers part of the whole production which we worked with this amazing organization out of dallas called pro planet i cannot recommend them more highly but uh, they brought their av team and um among other things we 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 produced this video and among other things you know like there were like beauty shots and glamour shots and group shots and all of that but then we also sat some folks down for one-on-one -on -one interviews to to splice within and Andy Dureska, um, you know, from both JA and, and uh, Black and & Jewelry, she, it was just, wow, she said, this is like a TED Talk for the jewelry industry. 
and no, I don't want to infringe on TED Talks, you know, copyrights or whatever, but uh, it was, I mean, you, we couldn't have gotten a better compliment than that because that's exactly the, you know, we hadn't actually put TED Talk in our head, but we were trying to have elevated conversations that were a little bit different from what you normally hear in the industry. So that, that was the reaction to it and we were thrilled. So you kind of touched upon how you were like analyzing whether or not you were guys were going to do this next year. So what is the, what do you think about that? So, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a big investment on Julius Mutual's part. So it's not to be taken lightly. Um, And the, the main thing that we got out of this was the main return on investment was, you know, in marketing terms, you would call a halo effect, right? It, people coming away saying like, wow, Julius Mutual really cares. And Julius Mutual really put on an, an, an incredible event that was elevated on every level, you know? Um, and people appreciated that we didn't have sponsors. Um, so it, it was very relaxed. No one was selling you everything. Scott Murphy in his opening presentation was adamant to say like this event is not about Julius Mutual and in fact he did not you know go on to list things that Julius Mutual does this event was about bettering the industry Um, so it's really it's it's a nuts and bolts review of what what does this do for the brand I guess you know I'm I don't think I'm talking out of bounds because it's obvious, you know, any marketer would know this. It's, you know, so you had ex- the expense for that. What did that produce versus, let's say, an advertising campaign? And what would that produce? Right. So you, those are sort of the benchmarks that you use to, to measure um, is, is the return on investment worth it. And then we also we were interviewed. We're in the process right now of getting feedback in a formal way from attendees. Um, to say like, do you think it should be this way every year? Or should we do it in the same location every year? Would it be better to do it every other year? Because you know, every year is a lot for people to, to, to add to their calendar. So we'll see. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's the post-mortem stage that we're in right now. Yeah, and I can imagine it would be so difficult to measure a return on something like that. Because as you said, the primary result is the halo and like how do you measure a halo (laughs) yeah right no it is hard it is hard but but i mean there wasn't a single conversation that didn't take place there's not a single email that i've received after the event or note or whatever that doesn't that did doesn't say in one way or the other you know thank you julius mutual for for this thank you so it, it it there there definitely is some halo effect it's just hard to measure as you say is there anything else about the event that you were really excited about that we haven't touched upon yet that you want to share? You know, it's just, I, so at the, at the start of, in my opening speech, I shared an anecdote uh, on the way to the Philly airport on, I guess, gosh, that would have been Wednesday. I was on a, uh, just listening in on a Zoom call with Michelle Orman from Couture and Last Word Communications. And she had a, uh, she had all the, the people that she was going to have on her panel on Saturday afternoon on the call. And we were going back. It was, this was the one about storytelling and the emotion behind jewelry and stuff. 
And Bill Jones from Sissy's Log Cabin was on it, and he's just great. He's, you know, talking about a storyteller, he's the best. Um, and so afterward, I, I sent him a, a, just a quick text saying, like, so glad you're on the panel, thank you so much. And he wrote back this response, and it was four words. And I shared those four words with everyone on the stage, and they were, we love our industry. And I, I said to everyone, you know, that that needs to be sort of the bedrock of this weekend. And that needs to be the thing that we all fall back on moving forward is that we do love our industry. And I was, you know, for me personally, I had a whole career before fate pushed me into being the publisher of JCK. It was a corporate mix up one day or shake up one day. And uh, but the very first event that I went to, someone came up to me and said, oh, we want to know you. You're the publisher of JCK. We want to know you. And I thought, well, you know, no one ever wanted to know me in any of my other roles. And that was Im this immediate sense of like, oh, OK, this is, there's a community in this industry and they're engaged and they care about it and they love it. And so that's that's what it was. You know, that that was the most exciting thing. So we had set up. Uh, with this company called All Seasons Adventures. We had set up um, uh, a la carte activities like fly fishing, skeet shooting, hiking, mountain biking. And one of my very specific daydreams was that people would say years from now, oh, you remember we met fly fishing in, on that first Park City? Um, and already that was happening. You know, people were, people were, came back from the fly fishing and there were these, I can't remember exactly who it was, but there were these two women who were like, okay, now we're new best friends. And so that, that was the most exciting thing, you know, about it all. And again, talk about, you know, not easy to quantify, but qualitatively just, it was just, you know, a lot of people who care about this industry, who love this industry and who care and love each other. And so there were hugs and reunions and new friendships made. And that, so that was, that was, you know, a really, really cool part of the event. Which event, which of those little activities did you participate in, Mark? Yeah, <laughs> I did a hike and it was glorious. It was really, really glorious. I, listen, I grew up in Utah. I, the whole time I was like, why, do, why did I never hike in the Aspens when I lived here? So Park City is, is at the Aspen level, which, you know, you get right different, different flora at different altitudes and, and you know, eventually you get above the tree line. But at this sort of like 7,000 foot range is where most of the resorts of Park City and our hotel and blah, blah, blah. And that's right in the thick of the Aspens. And they were gloriously bright yellow. You know, several people said to us, like, you guys hit the weekend. This was the, this is the weekend. And so there was just, you know, this moment, these moments on the hike where we were literally in a cathedral of hundreds of golden aspens um and that was it was beautiful that was part of the, that was part of the the you know i think of what made the, the weekend magic was that we did get an opportunity to connect with nature and, and that's always very soothing good for the soul that does sound so beautiful <laughs> yeah it was it was really really great but next year i want to fly fish <laughs> yes <laughs> if, if we do it if we do it <laughs> So what else do you have coming up on the horizon with Jewelers Mutual or just other things you're working on? I'd love to know what, what's in the future for you. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're, we're, 
we're, we're looking into a lot of different things. I've got one exciting project that like in two weeks I'll be able to talk about, but I can't really talk about right now. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it suffice to say that Julius Mutual, I didn't even realize this upon coming uh, aboard. I, I always just knew them on the B2B or what at JM we call the commercial line side, um, the insuring of stores basically and jewelry businesses. But we have over a million policyholders on the consumer side. And so it really, as a content guy, as a magazine guy, as a website guy, I sort of, you know, thrill to the thought of what can we do to communicate to them? I mean, they're proven jewelry enthusiasts. Um, so exploring, exploring ideas there, um, working on a, on, a, on a redesign of just a refresh of the Zing report as we go into year two of that. Um, getting, and then I, I'm, I'm getting excited because, you know, I've already got hotels booked for Arizona, for uh, New York City Jewelry Week in a couple in, next month, um, AGS, I've already got my hotel booked, you know, so I'm also just excited to be back on the circuit and be out there talking and seeing and learning and doing and, and then having the Zing Report cover it. You're way more prepared than I am. I haven't even thought about it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you're going to go to, if you're going to Tucson, book it now. Everything is booked up, which is such a great sign. I think it's, I think it's a sign that it's going to be a fantastic jewelry uh, rock. I don't know what we call it, jewelry week or loose stone week or whatever. But, you know, that Tucson week is going to be great. But genuinely, like, uh, everything's booked up. So... Okay. I'm glad I, I'm glad I, (laughs) (laughs) precisely, precisely. Yeah, that'll be good. Well, thank you, Mark. It was, it was really cool to hear about this event. I'm so happy to hear about how well it went for you and for all the attendees and thanks for your time today. Well, thank you. And obviously I'm still, you know, on a high, which is why I'm like, but it, it was great. And, um, sincerely though, you know, we do hope it, it, it's connections were made, conversations were had. We hope it fuels business and we hope it continues to fuel um, the need for us to focus on the challenges that the industry faces. It, you know, they're really, they're big, right? Those, those other uh, disposable income items like travel and restaurants and they're back. So now we need to focus on what makes jewelry unique and what makes jewelry exciting. Um, and how do we promote that to consumers? And so we got challenges ahead, but we'll do it. What did you think about my interview with Mark? To learn more about him, connect with him on LinkedIn, and I'll put the link to his profile in the show notes. You can also always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com book for more information. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with Joy Joya, visit joyjoya.com, where you can sign up to download our free eBooks about various topics in jewelry marketing.